Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. This week is another special one because I bring in a lawyer who I had the privilege of working with several years ago in-house. She was both corporate counsel, she worked and served as an intro business partner and as a coach, as a human connector with great perspective. And I actually remember taking the company shuttle with her to the office. And I just thought to myself, gosh, I didn't know lawyers could be so cool. She's been in my corner. She's been in my speed dial, if you call it that anymore, for as long as I can remember. And whenever I come upon tricky situations, when I'm looking for perspective that might help me see things a little bit differently, she's the woman I call. And I really appreciate her sage advice. This year is nothing short of a tumultuous one. Perhaps it's been the last few years. We don't have precedents. We don't have examples to fall on. And I appreciate that Kat is taking her legal practice with a lens of both trauma and mindfulness, of personal development and of development as the world changes to her profession. I came upon a few interesting scenarios and when I reached out to her to talk, I thought this is way too good to not hit record on a podcast. So without further ado, please meet my dear friend, a very special human being and a lawyer that you might just appreciate having in your back pocket too. Meet Kat. Kat, welcome to the pod. I'm grateful for your time and a conversation that I feel is so important because if I don't ask you these questions, then I will get into trouble. And I know I'm not the only one that might have this perspective on things. <laughs> I'm delighted to be here, Steph. And talking about legal issues is a passion of mine. So yes, let's talk. Well, I laugh and you laugh because we know that there are so many things that go unsaid and so many circumstances that we just don't know until we have these conversations. So. Before we dive in, laughter and all, we're going to preface this conversation with there's no dumb question and there's no dumb answer, obviously. Everything on the table from my side, and that's how we'll all learn. That sounds great because we're both smart women. And can we also preface it by saying nothing of what I say is legal advice, it's general information and chit chat between Steph and Kat. And if you need legal advice, you have to hire a lawyer, present the facts, etc. I love that preface because I am not paying you to be on this podcast. (laughs) And so this is very sage. I love that. Well, before we dive in, can you introduce yourself? Who are you and what is your relationship with law? Steph, I am a Colombian Canadian. I am a lawyer, a human resources professional, an organizational coach. All of those are layers of my identity. I work at a private law firm doing mainly employment law, and I have worked in-house as a lawyer for an organization for many years where I had the pleasure of meeting you and working with you. I had worked as an HR professional for a bank recently, and so I have that combination where I've been client, external counsel, in-house counsel, counsel in private practice. And I think that has given me a good overall perspective of the issues that people face. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And what I want to say is that I appreciate perspective that you bring to all of the different scenarios. And I think that that is the blessing of someone who has the exposure that you've had to understand many different perspectives. Just to make it super clear, when you say that you now work as an employment lawyer, does that mean that you're typically representing employees or employers? I do both. So I would say my practice is 50-50. I have employer clients and employee clients, and I also do workplace investigations where I'm hired as an independent investigator to look into workplace issues. Got it. So that's super sage. If you've been fired, we can call you. If you're an employer, we can call you. Yes. And not two people from the same company can call me in the two different capacities because there will be a conflict of interest. But yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. And I think that everyone needs a great lawyer and a human lawyer at that. So call Kat. She will let you know whether or not she can represent you. And then you can decide where to go from there. Oh, Kat. In preparation for this, I had three specific scenarios that felt timely and relevant in this day and age, in this climate, not necessarily weather to discuss. And I learned a lot in speaking to you about these. And I thought that it might be really helpful for our listeners to understand as well. So without further ado, let's dive into scenario number one, which is called scenario number one, I have a personal opinion, I am hired by an employer. And I share my personal opinion in a way that is in conflict with how my employer believes something, you know, frankly, let's say as it relates to the pandemic. So as it relates to the pandemic, I have personal views that conflict with my employer's views and I am terminated. How does that go? Live issue for sure. So first it's important to know what a political belief is, which is different from a personal opinion. Okay. And I say this because it is political beliefs that are protected under human rights legislation in British Columbia. Okay, now freedom of expression is protected by the charter, applies to all of us Canadians. Okay, and so we all have freedom of expression. The government can limit freedom of expression by law on certain circumstances and as long as those limits are reasonable in a society like ours and whatnot. When it comes to the practicalities in the workplace, if you have an opinion that amounts to political belief and you are terminated because of that political belief, then you have a recourse at the human rights tribunal. But what is it? A political belief, and I'll quote because this is important, is something that has to do with public affairs or politics or engagement in civil administration or having an organized form of society or government or belonging to or taking side in politics or something along those lines, okay? And so what we faced as employment lawyers is, is that a lot of times your position around the vaccines or your position around COVID doesn't fall within that definition. It's more of a personal opinion. It's better described as a personal opinion, okay? Now, political beliefs, no doubt, have been protected. And to give you an example that was very live in this province in the year 2016, it was a police officer. He worked for the Victoria Police Department. He was an excellent police officer. And part of his mandate as a police officer is to enforce the laws of Canada, right? And that includes the drug laws of Canada, the criminal code. 
He, however, was a member of an organization that was politically opposed to criminalization. And he used to participate in rallies and assemblies and whatnot. And the employer was saying, hey, that goes against us. You cannot, you have to stop talking, dude, and you have to stop showing up. And he said, no, this is a political belief. And the Human Rights Tribunal agreed and said, you cannot impose discipline or cause any adverse consequence for this person for his participation in these rallies and in this organization, which is political in nature. Right now in Canada, we don't have a settled decision or, or a precedent that tells us that your beliefs around these things are political beliefs. We have some decisions of the Human Rights Tribunal around masks in general, and they have said, look, your, your choice of not wearing a mask and somebody asking you to wear a mask, that's not political belief and it's, it's not protected. But it's a live issue. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a live issue and it's ever evolving. And maybe to take it a step further, just truly out of curiosity. So if I am terminated for, let me get this right. Is it my political belief that I can be terminated for or my personal opinion? So you could be terminated for your personal opinion and not for your political belief. Okay. Not for my political belief. Yes. Now, if I'm terminated, am I still eligible for severance and for EI? And so I don't have a job because I'm in conflict. And yet, am I still compensated? So let's start by the general rule, right? So in the province of British Columbia and in all of Canada, for that matter, and I won't speak for Quebec, an employer can terminate an employee at any time and for any reason, as long as the employees paid the appropriate severance which is the severance that is either contained in the employment contract or the severance of common law or the severance that is contemplated in employment standards legislation. Okay. And some wrinkles to that, but in general, that's the statement. Okay. The only caveat to that general principle that we could all be fired at any time, as long as somebody writes us a check is if the reasons are protected grounds under the human rights code mm -hmm. and political belief is a protected ground. And therefore, even if you write me a check, you didn't have a right to terminate me. Or let me put it this way. You can still be fired, but you have a cause of action. And that cause of action is with the Human Rights Tribunal. Okay. Mm. It's a process and it'll take some time and you, mm -hmm. you would need a lawyer to assess your chances of success and give you the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. Now, for your personal opinion, right? So mm -hmm. let's say a, a simple personal opinion. I don't like the color of this office walls. Or I don't like the artwork. Or I don't like, you know, the policy that forces to work from home during the pandemic. That would be a personal opinion. And I can fire you for that as long as I write you the check. Okay. <laughs> and you, you don't have the human rights protection. Now, if the check is not of an amount that coincides with either the employment contract or the common law or employment standards, then your cause of action is one for wrongful dismissal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wrongful dismissal is to have been terminated without appropriate severance or notice in lieu of severance, mm -hmm. okay? Because employers can also give you notice as opposed to write you the check. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, this is helpful because what I am hearing is that you shared an example of the police officer from 2016, which is approximately six years ago as we're recording this. And we're in the middle of what feels like this pandemic time, people experiencing new precedents of working from home, new arrangements, new relationships with masks or vaccines. And I am curious as to how long you suspect it will take before we have precedences or cases that you can speak to 
about the current state. Are we years away from that? There's some decisions that have come up, particularly in the labor arbitration context. Mm. So unions in every province have been at the forefront of bringing grievances on behalf of their members when it comes to vaccine mandates, terminations, and whatnot. And so we have labor arbitrators who are the judges in the union world, so to speak, mm-hmm. who have looked at vaccination mandates, vaccination policies, requirements, and have said, is this reasonable? Did the employer issue this in a manner that restricts people's rights as little as possible? Was it properly communicated? Does it attain the purpose? And therefore, this this policy, should it be upheld or not? And should this person be terminated or not? Like all of that is coming out. That for sure Mm -hmm. is there. We're starting to see in the courts, the first cases coming out of people having been terminated for refusing to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And that we still don't have a trend. We still don't have a like a series of cases that you can say, and now this is the new common law in this mm-hmm. country. You had asked me about EI, which is also very important that people who become unemployed can claim if they've been contributing to the system through their employment in the event of being terminated and, and finding themselves without income. There were some recent changes made to EI to account for when people are terminated for refusing to comply with the policy of the employer, right? I understand that there's some question marks around whether that means that if I refuse to have been vaccinated, is EI going to deny me my Mm. benefits? Is that considered insubordination or is that a good reason for me to have been fired or a reason for which I would get the benefits? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, needless to say, this is a complex issue. It doesn't feel like there is resolution or resolve in any way at the moment, other than the fact that you may be terminated and the employer may need to pay you or will probably need to pay you. It's just a matter of how much they pay you. And vaccine mandates continue to be a highly contentious topic, it feels like. Right, Steph. And this is so highly dependent on the facts, right? Because Mm -hmm. let's say somebody who refuses to be vaccinated and they work at a professional services firm, an accounting firm, a law firm, Mm -hmm. or an engineering firm, and they can work from home, is very different from somebody who refuses to be vaccinated for a job that is in a factory or in a meatpacking processing plant in person every day, in a small confined space with their coworkers, yeah. right? Safety is one of the main obligations of the employer to maintain a safe workplace. Mm-hmm. And so whether somebody can be fired for not following a vaccine mandate also depends on what kind of workplace mm-hmm. you work in. Yeah. Okay. Super clear. You mentioned something else, which feels like the perfect segue into our second case, which is freedom of expression. And freedom of expression does not fall under a political view. Is that correct? Freedom of expression is protected by the charter. So it's a bit more expansive than political belief. Yeah. Okay. I want to change gears completely away from the pandemic and share a story that there was a beautiful human who I had the privilege of interviewing a few years ago now. And I asked a question at the end in our interview, is there anything else that you'd like me to know about you that you haven't shared yet? Meaning you can tell me anything or nothing at all. And he said, well, I just want you to know that I'm really excited. It's pride and I'm a drag performer and I'm going to perform on the weekend. And I've never felt comfortable telling an employer that before. 
And of course, we were so excited and he's sharing his whole self with us at the Corker Co. We're so thrilled for you to be fully self-expressed. And it gave me pause. And I said, I wonder why he hasn't shared this previously. And is there any reason legally that he should not feel comfortable sharing such a thing? Right. So no. Because I'm not entirely sure that it would fall within freedom of expression. In in my mind, what it falls under is that even though, the, let, let me put it this way, intuitively you say, well, there's a freedom of expression issue here at play. From a legal perspective, I think we're talking about gender expression and gender identity in general, which is another ground that's protected by the BC Human Rights Code and which was introduced so that people in the workplace can be truly themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how does that manifest itself? I mean, for your beautiful human, they couldn't talk about this. And for years, people didn't want to talk about this for fear of losing their jobs, being excluded and whatnot. Mm -hmm. The legal protection is there for people like them. But it's also, uh, you know, when you have things that are apparently neutral, but their application results in something unequal. For instance, dress codes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I and I saw this with a very dear friend of mine who identifies herself as a lesbian. All of a sudden she wasn't meeting the dress code. Well, you know, the way she dressed, which was jeans and T-shirts, was a manifestation of her gender identity. This is how I am a lesbian. Do not make me wear a blouse and a pencil skirt and a pair of heels. I'm sorry. No. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though a dress code will be neutral, well, this application is far from neutral. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, having that protected ground in the human rights code doesn't necessarily change cultures and doesn't mm. necessarily change a workplace, mm. right? So mm -hmm. your dear friend probably felt afraid for a good reason. That, mm. and, and for good reason, he didn't when he went and, and, and talked to you and, and interviewed with you because he mm -hmm. felt a psychological safety. And that's the big challenge for organizations. Can you go beyond the legal protection? Because here's the thing, Steph, the protection of the human rights code is claims-based. No mm. claim, no protection. If you don't put mm. up your hand and litigate, nobody's protecting you, right? Mm. So as an organization, do you want to stand for someone or for something that is doing things right, and where you have a culture of true diversity and true inclusion and psychological safety, or are you going to not change and then wait for people to sue you, Right. Gosh. Okay. I want to touch on that for a hot second. And then we're going to go to scenario number three, because I have heard certain organizations say the wait times right now, the lineup at the courts or whatnot is so long, like go ahead and sue me because it's going to take so long. What are your thoughts on that? It's sad, but it's true. Okay. However, as an employment lawyer and most of us lawyers understand this. When we take the oath and we get called to the bar, we make a promise to uphold the laws of British Columbia. So I, when I am advising an employer, mm -hmm. I never say, don't worry about complying because they're never gonna sue you. They're going to be disencouraged, the system's so plugged. No, say this is the law and this is what needs to be done in order to comply with the law. Now, mm -hmm. some employers decide to do some what we call risk acceptance and not comply and one of the factors might be you know the clog and, and whatnot but it's not the view as a lawyer that you should bring is like this is what compliance looks like 
Mm -hmm. right? And it's up for the client to do that. But there's no doubt about that. Our human rights tribunal is quite overwhelmed right now because the Mm -hmm. pandemic brought up issues that people are filing complaints about. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very special time. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the third, which is a little bit pandemic, a little bit, I'm not even going to say controversial. I'm going to call it just what it is, which is a real life scenario. And it touches on the humanness and the diversity and the changing landscape. And I never thought I would speak to a lawyer about this. And yet it feels so appropriate. And that is sex workers in the workforce, sex workers in the workforce outside of their sex work. And what I mean by that is during the pandemic, access to certain establishments for sex workers were shut down. So they they, meaning sex workers, got creative about doing other type of work. One scenario was there was a sex worker who joined an organization that had nothing to do with sex work. One of the investors of the company discovered that this person who was working on a digital platform also happened to be a sex worker and filed a complaint that said, we do not want this person working here under our watch under our dime because we know what else they do in their life. They delivered timely work. They delivered excellent work. There was no question. It's just an investor found out, hey, this person does other things. I wrestled with this. I wrestled with how can this possibly be okay? How can, and I'm going to be honest here, how can a white man raise his hand and claim that this is incorrect when I don't see the congruency. I don't see how it impacts him. And I'm so biased in saying this. So this is why I bring it up because I was like, can you please open my eyes and share with me from your true perspective what I'm not seeing or what it could be like? Because I think these kinds of situations help us understand really the diversity of what it means to work with people that do all kinds of things with their life. Right. I mean, this is such an interesting scenario, Steph, because Using the, a lawyer's lens, if you will, what I can think of maybe at play here is whether there's any conflict of interest for this investor and their organization and the purpose that they fulfill in the world with somebody who has a side job or a prior job in the sex industry. There is case law in this country, for instance, religious organizations are able to, let's say, draw boundaries around certain things that fulfill that religious purpose. Okay, so people are allowed to privately associate in order to further religious purposes. And sometimes those religious purposes are not compatible with certain activities. Again, I mean, we're talking here hypothetically as to what could be a play. Outside of that, this sounds like a preference from somebody who has their own views of morality and whatnot. And, you know, we would need a full podcast to talk about sexual work. Because it is, you know, it's even a divisive issue within the feminist community, which you have two streams, if you will, tugging at each other. One, which is, you know, sexual work is empowering or sexual work should be respected, should be protected, should be legalized, should be provided with the same guarantees and minimum standards of any other type of work. And you have the other stream that says, no, sexual work is the manifestation of oppression and it should be made illegal and the protection should come after all of this is eliminated, right? Because mm-hmm. sexual work is, is actually prostitution and prostitution is by nature oppressive and there's no choice, mm-hmm. right? So I'm painting this in very broad strokes. This is a debate that has 
all kinds of angles and, and all kinds of focuses, and I don't mean by any means to be an expert, but I think where you're coming from, Steph, is a lens of compassion, of love, of like human beings should be free to choose what they want to do with their light and to shine in whichever way they want. And not everybody feels that way. Let's don't forget human beings are at the core, we're a nervous system, mm. right? A nervous system who feels. And people are triggered by various things. They're triggered mm. by the unknown. They're triggered by things that they were taught were wrong, et cetera, et cetera. So you mm. have someone manifesting these fears. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what yes. <laughs> No, that's so beautiful. And if you've ever met a lawyer who will remind you that we are governed by a nervous system that in times is rooted in past beliefs, in past patterns, and we don't pause to say, like, truly, what is the belief we believe today and why? And you actually have the opportunity of living in the space of creating new precedents, new cases, new examples of how we can move forward all the time. And I love that we've just gone full circle from personal opinion or experience with a vaccination and our voice and what that means for employment or unemployment and recognizing that while all of this is going on, there's actually another whole side of things that would touch on the diversity lens of what it means to be fully expressed in work and what it means to be a woman or not. I mean, I don't want to ever even dare say it's part of a feminist movement. I just can't help but bring it up as two women on the call. So Gosh, it's wild. It's such a wild <laughs> time. <laughs> Did you ever think when you were in Columbia, when you were entering law, that this could be your career? Absolutely not, Steph. I never dreamt of this. Yeah. Uh, I, I started doing insurance law. So wow. uh, this is, this is, it's wild times. It's interesting times. Interesting times. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm so grateful for your time. And if anyone knows how to keep time on a clock, it's a lawyer. So I want to be mindful and wrap this with my favorite question of 2022. And that is, is there a goal personal, professionally or otherwise that you would like to share with us that is on your list for the year? Yes, it's both personal and professional all at once. And it's to continue to learn about trauma. And to continue to practice mindfulness, which is so difficult. Mm. They're both words of our times. And there's Mm. so much to explore and so much to learn. But Mm. the more you learn about trauma, the more you understand your fellow human beings and yourself. Mm. And the more you learn about mindfulness, the more you have tools for resilience and for Mm. loving other people as they are, really. Yeah. Can you give us one tip or human or place that you're going to educate yourself or to practice either trauma or mindfulness for that matter? Well, I've made a point of visiting the Camino de Santiago in Spain this year. So I'm, I'm hoping to do a lot of reflection on that walk. <laughs> Amazing. When are you headed there? July, if, if it all goes well, if Ukraine and Russia allows us to go there. I, you know, it's that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, that is a pilgrimage of mindfulness, if I've ever heard of one, and it's totally on my list to one day experience that hike. I think it is a walk into your soul. So that is beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you immensely. I'm so grateful that life has brought us where it has. And whenever I need a lawyer, I call you. So thanks for that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Steph. A pleasure being here. 